So you uh, do you normally take a long time to write to write songs or like in many many phases? Or? Well, with me, there's usually two kinds of songs I'm finding. There's one that pops out pretty fully formed. Yeah. Often when I've been inspired by something, like if I go to a concert or something, or uh, you know have some moving experience. And then there's the songs that take me forever to write. Like I start them and uh, I get like two verses down and some chords that I like and uh, and they just don't, it just doesn't come together. Yeah. And so it's hanging around and hanging around. Um, and some of those eventually get completed and uh-huh. some of them never do. Right. So, yeah. And, and I used to be, well, chords first, music first, lyrics later. But right. for some reason as I've gotten older, it's been more either both together or... Lyrics first. Really? Yeah. Yeah. They, Which, they feel different, don't they? I mean, it's like, it's a different creative experience. And I, I mean, I, I haven't written a, a lot of songs, but I'm finding that, at least so far, the ones where I write lyrics first, they end up being a little bit more musically cohesive at the end. Yeah, I, I, that's a good way of putting it. I, I think earlier I was interested in the, like, the... Um, the feel of the song or the idiom of the song as a piece of music, words and music together was the thing for me. How does this strike you viscerally? And as I've gotten a little older, for whatever reason, um, I'm more interested in the storytelling. Yeah. Uh, I kind of <laughs> at some point woke up and was like, oh, everybody that does what I do, they're telling stories. <laughs> and I guess I was doing that anyway, but I wasn't always focused primarily on telling a story. And that's become a lot more important, so maybe that's why the lyrics come first now. Yeah. It's Acoustic Conversations. Anybody, we jumped uh, right in. We jumped right in, and I was, <laughs> I, I, wasn't, I was still standing up. I feel like we should at least tell people what the show is. Before. <laughs> Back the tape. This is, this, is, this is Kurt uh, trying to hijack me out of the show. <laughs> <laughs> Quick, he's in the bathroom. Let's record. <laughs> no, I kid. I kid because I love uh, but it is Acoustic Conversations. I am Pete Wright, Kurt Siffert, uh, in the uh, Chateau do Acoustic Conversations. Great to be back. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's uh, good to see you. And uh, our guest uh, is Justin Jude. Uh, welcome, Justin. Thanks, guys. Thanks uh, for having me. Really, really glad to see you. You're talking about um, uh, about how you write your music. Um, uh, lyrics first. Uh, uh, I'm interested in this concept of you as a musical storyteller. What kind of stories did you find you were telling before you came to this epiphany? <laughs> uh, you know, I think a lot of my earlier songs were all about uh, relationships, mostly that went wrong. You know, um, if something was, if something bothered me, if something haunted me. Um, I, you know, music was a great way to to capture it, and sometimes, sometimes, you know snuff it out in a way you know it's it's i hate to put it this way because it's a cliche but it can be therapeutic you, you you can capture some painful stuff and um sing it out and it changes at least it, it's been my experience and then i i think later on i started being more conscious of it what story do i want to tell are there is there stuff from my life that i really do want to you know uh, sing out and are there stories about characters that i'd like to tell that's been a kind of a recent idea. I've never really been a character writer. You know, like listening to recent Springsteen, for example, a lot of, you know, maybe it's always been this way for him, but I think the recent stuff, it's all these characters, you know, the boxer and God, I can't remember what else. Um, and that's a little more appealing than it used to be. 
it's it, it's a it's a throwback. I mean, recent Springsteen, even early Springsteen. I'm suddenly thinking about Simon and Garfunkel. I mean, it's it, you know, it's it's uh, it's this idea that uh, not everything has to be about you, man. Yeah, <laughs> wake up from the '80s, and '90s. It, it, you know, it's that's got to be kind of liberating on some level. It is. It really is. I mean, I think that it's. Um, Writing about your own experience is, is a treasure trove, but you can you can overdo it and get really lost in there. And uh, you know, when every song begins with the word "I," maybe it's time to mix it up. You know, give people something a little different, tell a different story. So, uh, why don't you start us off with a song, if you would? Sure. This is kind of a recent song. I don't know. We have one recording of this, I think. Um, it's called "Bad News." And uh, it's, uh, well, we'll talk about it afterward. I tried taking my space from you I tried walking away I tried making a place for you So warm you'd have to stay But the signal is clear And I know what I'm gonna hear And that's bad news So bad it had to be true Bad news You oh, 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 oh. I tried putting up a fight I tried shouting you down I tried listening until it's light And following you all over town but it's never enough Cause you only fill me up With bad news You were so bad it had to be true Bad news You down the wire coming And sing, 
You're never taking the hook And I can't break your spell Cause you know what always sells Oh, and that's bad news You so bad it had to be true Bad news You, oh, like my worst fears coming true And that's bad news You so bad news Okay. Beautiful. <laughs> How did you ever decide to end major on that yeah. tune? <laughs> <laughs> where does it, where does that uh, where does that one come from? Uh, I got inspired by some uh, uh, I think it was some Martin Sexton stuff, or maybe I was listening to some Aaron McEwen stuff, and I just thought, you know, um, <clears throat> I need one of those I need one of those sort of bluesy. Stick a knife in your ribs ballads. <laughs> <laughs> Stick a knife in your ribs <laughs> It's the murder ballad. You know, we talked about murder ballads up. last time. Oh, really? Stick a knife in your... Yeah. Well, that was, you know, it was, yeah. I mean, it's this idea that, uh, what it, it, this was our uh, our friend, good friend Dustin Pattison who says, I realized when I was going to start singing this kind of music, I was going to have to have a murder ballad. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, it's funny, but it's not too. I mean, there's... There's I love you and there's I want to kill you and there's both and there's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I... I, I uh, I hate you. I hate me. I love you. I love me. You know, there's there's certain riffs that you kind of have to explore if yeah, you're going to be in this business. Yeah, and and uh, I think uh, all of these songs are I mean, well, not 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 just mine, but I think a lot of these storytelling songs really boil down to these um, very basic things. You know, um, I love you. I can't handle it. I, I uh, you know I want to be with you, but it's not working out. I mean, maybe that's just my my own worldview, but. Um, how how do you find your um, and and I sort of want to separate this from a discussion of of uh, songwriting to a discussion of performance over time. How do you find uh, you know you Justin Jude as a as a performer uh, you know deliver your music now versus when you uh, when you were just starting out uh, and and kicking it off professionally? Um, that's a great question, and, and I haven't really talked about that much and it's really important to me um i think starting out earlier i uh you know i i I had a passion for the songs and i really wanted to share them but i didn't i didn't have a comfort in my body performing and that's really important you're going to put yourself up in front in front of people um it's it's a much less enjoyable experience if you feel like a stone and i knew that i needed to do something about it but i didn't know what and and through some some serendipitous connections, I ended up doing some uh, singing performance training um, <clears throat> with a wonderful teacher here in Portland whose name is Michelle Copper Seymour. I don't mind uh, dropping her name because she's a wonderful teacher. <laughs> and, um, you know, taking her class and really doing a lot of movement um, and I think also doing a lot of experiential emotional stuff. Uh, a lot of people go to her class because they, they feel kind of blocked and they, they want to sing. Um, it helped me kind of free up my body. And so I feel now when, I, when I'm on stage, um, 
you know, even if I'm not feeling the greatest, I, I can sort of turn on the juice in a way I wasn't able to before and, and use movement to help me have a good show and, and, you know, hopefully deliver some energy to the audience that paid to see it. Um, and that's, that's really important to me. I want people to walk in and come and walk out a little different than they walked in, maybe a lot different. And if, if I'm not, um, um, if I'm not able to, uh, to, to, to communicate that energy, like both with my singing and playing, but also just with my physical energy, it's not as good a show. Does that make some sense? Well, sure. Particularly um, when you, when you t- start talking about it as part of you as a product. Sure. You, you know, I mean, very, very much. It's, uh, the, you know, you, you never say, I'm, or you rarely hear people say, oh, I went to hear Justin Jude uh, when you're going to a live show. It's always, I'm going to see Justin. Yeah. And it's, you know, uh, I'm not a big showman. I don't do a lot of, you know, like, we don't do, you know, choreograph anything. We don't do yeah. light shows and stuff. Do you, do you actually kick over mic stands and then pull them back up real yeah, fast? Yeah, we like, trash everything. A, yeah. I want to make sure. And, and you know, kicking speakers in. And that's it's yeah. real important to leave a swath of destruction, I think, after your show. Our band fund goes to replace instruments after every show. <laughs> <laughs> No, but it's. I think it's. It's important. Like you know, my my teacher says, and I love this phrase that if you're having an experience as a performer, then your audience is having an experience, and um, it's 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 uh, communal that way. It's it's a transaction. So that's that's what I try to do when I perform. Is I never want to just show up and and play it by rote. You know, um, I want to show up and play it like it's it's new to everybody because it probably is. How does um, how do you translate? And I, you know, something Kurt and I were talking about a little bit earlier uh, that we're very interested in, sort of the uh, how you translate your your music into production. How do you communicate that same message into uh, into a producible product? I mean, am I am I hitting it, Kurt? I'm. Oh yeah, you're fine. Where where that came from was uh, you know I'm always sort of curious. Like every artist has sort of a different process that they take, and starting from their living room in their head, you know, to just the voice and the guitar. To getting you know their actual sound on their CD, and I've listened to two CDs of yours, and you've got a very produced sound in it. And I'm just kind of curious, like sort of some of the uh, steps that you've gone through to to develop that, like in a production sense. I'm really still learning this whole process. Um, the first album I did, um, it's a long story, but the short version is I would I just wanted to do an acoustic EP, and my old friend from college said, "No, no, man." He was the re-engineer. He said, "No, we'll do full length album. I'll add MIDI instruments. You'll love it." And uh, and I just went with that, and and I liked what I got out of it um, because it was you know more than I had expected to create. And then with the second album, Truce, I wanted to have that actual full studio experience and bring in a band and and um, and arrange, but I had very little experience at that. So I partnered with Rob Stroop, who's a, a really skilled producer in town at Eight Ball Studio, and he, uh, you know, he, I, I learned a tremendous amount from Rob. Um, not having gone through this before, he brought in a lot of great session players. We arranged some stuff together, and we did a lot of things organically. You know, bringing in um, bassist Tim Huggins, drummer Derek Brown, and just going like, "Okay, guys, here's the scratch tracks of me and my guitar." Give me your best stuff. Sure. Here's what I think. You know, here's what I would think I want. But give me your best stuff. Let's see how it goes. And so that album was really created. Um, a, a lot of it was created in the moment, which I really enjoyed. Yeah. Uh, and that that taught me a lot about how to do it next time. I'd like to do some of that again, but I'd also like to have you know a better arrangement blueprint for everybody. Yeah. Um, entering it and and. 
Go ahead. Well, no, I mean, I don't, I, I don't mean to interrupt, but I, I'm sitting here sort of vicariously pulling my hair out. There's got to be an enormous amount of pressure as a first timer going into the studio and bringing in, you know, session players who are likely more experienced at the process than you are, and saying, "Here's my music." Oh yeah. Make it, you know, do do what you do. Uh, what, is, what is that like? As you know, can you can you? Talk were you tense? About that? I mean, were there times? <laughs> were, were you tense? Like about like I'm go panicking, and... and it's been years now <laughs> since that first album. You know. Yeah, there were times I was scared to death. You know, because I'm I'm really trusting these guys to to deliver something that I like, and um, that was the risk in doing it this way. Um, it was maybe an unavoidable risk because I just didn't have that arrangement experience to bring them a blueprint. Um, now I think I do. And and so there were times where I was like, oh boy. But there was something also really appealing about um, uh, creating, you know, even though this is a permanent artifact, right? This recording uh, that's going to stand the way it is from now on, there was something really appealing about it being an in-the-moment process and, and saying, okay, well, that's how he's feeling this song. What can we do with it? Um, if it's not where I want it to be, maybe we can sort of tweak what he's doing to get it to, to be, uh, uh, the, the flavor for this song that I want. Um, and then there were other times when guys came in and, and did stuff that I never saw coming and I thought, yeah, mm-hmm. all other times where I thought that's not what I want at all. But by the third time through, I thought, oh, okay, let's try that. Let's go in that direction. And I, I think I don't want to abandon that for the next, next time around. I, I definitely want to keep it organic, but maybe give them a little more guidance sure. <laughs> a little more know? guidance and 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 uh, you know i uh, have have just as much fun with it i hope that so seems, yeah. that seems like such a delightful process once i you know i i would be a basket case <laughs> i would be an absolute basket case it's 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 fun and yeah. scary all at once that's how i found it yeah you know it's uh it's like being on a roller coaster or something um lots of ups and downs let's do another uh, sure. permanent artifact shall we sure yeah this is the um <clears throat> the first out, uh, first song off of Truce, and it's the first one that I released. It's called Out of State. paintings where they are I just want to get out of here sell the books and the dirty mags sell the clothes in a paper bag I just want to get out of here I made it out of state gonna follow me anymore my life could be great oh tomorrow never comes tomorrow never comes until you die first it's black then it's white If you're coming by tonight I change the locks and you should know I'm going by a brand new name 
check my face, it's not the same. I change the locks, and here I go. Where does that one come from? Before I lived in Portland, my wife and I lived in St. Louis, and uh, we were there for, for schooling for her and for me. And, um, you know, it was just time to go. I lived in the East Coast my whole life, and in the middle of the country was okay, but it just wasn't my thing. Um, I need the ocean nearby, you know. And uh, it just I, I just needed to capture the feeling of it's needing to flee, <laughs> needing to change. And uh, I, I just extrapolated that for this song. Uh, I have been listening to that song quite a bit uh, of late. Um, uh, first song, again, off the album, uh, Truce. Uh, it's, it's a very different sound on the, uh, on the CD. Uh, with the full band experience, you know, how, how is it different going back to these songs uh, that, that are now artifacts uh, you know, and permanent in this state, and then going back to the more sort of naked uh, approach. What's that experience like? I like it a lot. It it uh, it keeps things 
um, fresh and, and spontaneous to, to go back and play the song in a way you're not used to playing it for the past year or whatever. Um, I, we worked really hard with this new band. Well, it's not so new. It's about a year and a half old to, um, you know, to work up the whole album and have it ready for a CD release and then, and then perform it beyond that. Um, so we're used to playing these songs in a certain way. And to, to have solo opportunities like this or other solo shows, it's, it's great to return to how I wrote it. And, um, and it also kind of feeds the band back because I'll, I'll find new, new things about the song um, that I might want to inject back into the band. So they it, it, it kind of feed each other, you know, if that makes sense. Tell me about uh, like actually putting together the band. How did that whole process start? Um, are these you know, people that you've known for a, a really long time or are they all new? Like how has how that whole kind of dovetailed in with the production of the CD? I feel really fortunate because uh, it was like a series of dominoes. Um, I was working with bassist Tim Huggins, who plays with James Lowe and the imprints on the record, on Truce. <clears throat> and he was originally the bassist in the band. Across the street from him lived a drummer named John Becker, who's played with Ashbury Park and a bunch of other groups. And we thought, hey, let's get together with John. John proved to be terrific. And we pulled in a couple of other people. Just when I was desperate for a guitarist, a guy I really admire named Jeff Porter became uh, more available and uh, has the perfect, the perfect sound, the perfect uh, approach to playing electric. And then uh, vocalist Deborah Rosenthal uh, came on to give the, the layer of harmonies that I wanted and, and add percussion. Mm-hmm. Um, Tim since left the band, um, and uh, we, we brought in uh, Eric Mimna, who plays with John, my drummer in uh, another project and has been solid for, for a real good long time here. Uh, and it just kind of all fell into place. You know, I, I feel really, really lucky. We did a little auditioning, but I didn't have to go through, uh, you know, protracted sure, yeah. <laughs> search for, for players. And, yeah. and the, the other thing is that it's really important to me. I'm not in it to find um, people for hire. If, if that's the way it works out, great. But I'm in it to find really good people who enjoy making music and I want to pay them as well as I can, but I, I also value like the the collective. Do we enjoy being together? Right. You know, are, sure. are we all having a good time? I value the the good person over the the good player, the great player. I'm always great to have a great player, but mm-hmm. I think you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, and luckily, these are wonderful people who care about this music, and uh, I'm I'm really grateful for all of them. And then I'll add too, we we have some other players that join us from time to time. Max Ribner on flugelhorn. Jillian Bunker on violin, and then we have sometimes a few folks from March 4th come and do a, a horn trio section sure, for yeah. a larger show, okay. which is also a lucky lucky connection. So you have like regular rehearsal schedule with these guys, and uh, you just try to get as many performances uh, as, you, as you can. Huh? Yeah, our, our goal is always to play once to twice a month. Mm-hmm. Um, we feel that that keeps us you know, current in Portland, but doesn't overdo it, Yeah. so people will still come to see us. We try to you know, mix up the different venues that we play. We rehearse regularly to make sure you know where the songs are solid, um, and to try to to introduce new material. So that's been working out. Uh, what about touring? Funny you mentioned that. Uh, <laughs> I have I've wanted to to tour for quite a while, and um, as we were talking about beforehand, Pete I had a daughter uh, last year, and really put that on hold. It was just just not realistic. So I, I this year it's a goal for me to get on the road at least you know two or three times in in short bursts. So we're doing a um, a, a week in May, a solo 
a solo tour, but I'm doing it with another performer. His name's Dave Lowenson, who's a member of a duo called Speechwriters LLC. (laughs) 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 They're they're terrific. They're they're funny and very talented songwriters. Um, And then, uh, you know, was just up doing Tacoma, Seattle, Olympia trip. We'll do that again soon. Uh, I'd like to do another another week or two in the fall. So, uh, you know, I, I got some really great feedback from um, from Erin McEwen one time. We, we were acquaintances in, in school, and uh, she said, look, just get strong at home and then let the touring kind of evolve from that. And, and I've really, I've come back to feeling that that's, that's really valuable because, you know, I could pour a lot of energy and money into touring, but, you know, it needs to be sustainable. So um, if I can visit uh, a city, you know, two, three times a year, that's sustainable. If I, you know, go out and do the East Coast once a year, maybe not as valuable, but not that I wouldn't like to do it, but um, we'll get there. Sure. Uh, I'd like to do another song, but I want to make sure when we come back that we talk a little bit about uh, what strong at home means. Uh, Sure. It can mean a couple of different things. Yes, it can. uh, Let's let's do another tune and uh, see where we go from there. This is uh, uh, also a fairly new song about um it's funny it's also about needing to get away but in a different way it's about needing to um go on vacation frankly it's called eat sleep and dream nothing to do Think about how much I gotta do But I don't wanna see it through, no I just wanna dream Sit on a beach With all my toys so far out of reach See what the moment can teach And try to breathe I need a rest You need to lay your head on my chest We've been singing our song too fast Perhaps we shouldn't go where folks have gone for ages And slip the bars of gilded cages Eat, sleep, and dream you and me I'm making a mess But maybe that's just one face of success Maybe life's not some kind of test Or a race to run Oh, we make our plans Yeah, we get busy with our minds and our hands Oh, and do all that we can But it's always just begun I need a rest You need to lay your head on my chest We've been singing our song too fast at last we can go where folks have gone for ages and slip the bars of gilded cages, eat, 
Beautiful. That's uh, that's another new tune you say. Thank you sleep and dream. Fairly new, fairly new. Yeah, we've got a couple of these um, posted as single tracks on my blog, but uh, they haven't been f- given the the full treatment yet. Sure. Yeah. Now you you mentioned something earlier, like uh, you know the the earlier song was the first one that you're releasing. Um, why don't you tell me a little bit more, like about kind of your your business strategy, your philosophy, like of you know how you're doing the whole independent musician thing. There's so many ways to do it. Um, what's your basic strategy here? It's an interesting time to be a musician in that, yeah, you know, it really it's, I think a lot of us are, even if we're kind of new to the game and I consider myself, you know, I've only been doing this professionally for about five years, six years. Um, yeah, we're still operating as if, you know, we're all trying to get a major label contract. But if we really sit down and talk to each other, it's maybe not what we want right. because that, I think that way of life is dying. Um, so, but we're in this, I think, really um, uh, ill-defined moment in the music business history, where there's there's a hundred different ways you could go about it, and and there's not really any one clear way mm-hmm. to have your music out there to the largest audience. So, I've given this a lot of thought the past year or so, and I think that you know, recording is still very very important. How you release the album is entirely an open question now you mm-hmm. know do you do do you do physical product i think you still do mm-hmm. you do still do cds vinyl maybe if you can afford it <laughs> but but releasing digitally is becoming very commonplace right so there's there's that uh, there's that piece of it but then there's the question of um <clears throat> of in that you know in that landscape how do you get your music out there and it seems to me that that licensing your music is becoming increasingly critical and that's something that I haven't spent a lot of time on because I've been focused a lot on performing the past couple of years, but it's, I'm really eager to learn more about. That's like um, an entirely different skill whole set. Whole other thing. It? Yeah. Whole other thing. Yeah. And th- that's why um, you know I, I have nothing to complain about, but but this may sound like a complaint. <laughs> you know, as a solo player, focused on uh, performing a lot and then starting to tour, 
licensing is a um, you know placing your music in TV and film etc is is like a whole like you say a whole other corridor to walk down so it's hard to shift the energy down that corridor um, but it's it's becoming more and more important to me to do that and at the same time somehow you know like we said earlier building slowly building a wider and wider touring circle and maintaining strength here in Portland playing good shows and building the Portland audience uh, those things seem very important to me but but it's really it's really a wide open question that's a really interesting uh concept because it, you know I, I don't know and and this is definitely from the seat of ignorance but it seems like you know 15 years ago and and further back it was this idea of being discovered <laughs> and getting a major yeah. record label uh and and then you know having them pour a whole bunch of money into your into your production and then you go tour to support the production and now being discovered is you know like the Gabe Dixon band getting discovered by NBC for their TV show right or uh, you know being discovered for a commercial or for uh Super Bowl spot or yeah it's this concept of of discovery and success means something completely different yeah and it, it's it's a even though it was mysterious before how you ever got the attention of a label and there were ways to do it I'm sure I know but it, it was its own kind of arcane thing it's even more so now because you know how do you how, let's say you can get your stuff licensed on a certain television show or film it's it's a you know a thousand and one shot that's really going to do something for you you also i think have to have the 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 experience of playing a number of years behind you probably and and a, an audience behind you that's still important but there are people that just you know look at yeah. colby calais right oh myspace absolutely there's instantly. those wacky ones like that although she's very talented it's just somebody found her right. um that's still that's still very possible. Um, but I think at the same time, I mean, look at Death Cab, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was the OC that, that, that really got them to prominence. And here they are. Here they are. Uh, uh, the Decemberists on uh, The Colbert Show. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, what's your take on, on MySpace? How do you use the, uh, the, the hmm. digital fan base to... Uh... Well, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not a technologically minded guy by nature, but... MySpace has been very valuable in being a very, like a one-stop shop for people to get quick information, I think, about when it, where I'm playing, what's going on. Um, and it's a way to network with other musicians, too. That's really an effective thing with MySpace. I, I, I've made a lot of great connections and, and booked shows that way by just connecting with, you know, like I go to Kurt's MySpace, let's say, and he's got five other guys in his friend base. And I'm like, oh, I think I've heard of so-and-so. And, you know, one thing leads to another. We send each other a message, and maybe we book a show. Um, and then people, you know, people hear the music. But I, I think, you know, it hasn't been to me it hasn't been uh, a huge marketing tool beyond that. Um, and then Facebook, I'm still really thinking about how to approach that. <laughs> There's a lot of different ways to handle Facebook, and I, I've kind of let that one sit on the sidelines for a while. But um, you know, I, I just do my I, I, I email my fan list uh, once to twice a month. I, I update those sites regularly. I try to get, you know, updated photos and, and video if I have it up there. I just try to keep it fresh. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it, this is going to sound cynical in a way, but but for each of us, it's a legitimizing thing to have that presence online. Um, it You know, people come to it and they, they absorb it. They say, hey, this, you know, th- this person has a lot of material up here and oh, let me check it out. This Let me pay attention. And then you build your audience that way, um, if that makes some kind of sense. So, 
I, I there were days when I was like, oh man, I only have nine hundred friends. I better build some more friends <laughs> on MySpace, you know. But it's just uh, I don't think that's really that important anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Because you'd go to like somebody yeah. else's page, they'd have fifteen hundred friends. Oh man, they're so much more successful. Right? Than I am. Yeah. Well, there's the you know I went to a conference not uh, uh, you know a year and a half ago and and uh, and I was you know hobnobbing with with a bunch of new media people and they had all hit the cap on Facebook, which is five thousand friends. Oh my god! And I'm sitting here saying, oh, man, I'm still in the hundreds. <laughs> No, I don't even have a right to sit at the same table with you people. I'll never I'm make a, it. I'm flying a whole different airline, you know. It's like not even, not even a different class. That's great. That's too funny. Let's uh, let's do another tune. Sure Which thing. One? Let's see. This is something completely different. Sort of a. I don't know whether it's swingy or ragtime, but um, this is one we often bring the horns out on, and um, I can't remember who I was mad at when I wrote this song but I was mad at somebody who was complaining too much about something and then later I realized oh you know I could just as well be singing this song to myself because I, I <laughs> you know the more time I spend complaining the less good a life I have so anyway this song is called Complain Late Always the same as it was way back in the day. Trouble is, you never live back in the day. You're just a baby if you're a day, but still you think you got something to say. Hey, take my advice if you pretend you're wise. Let out a big sigh And get your head down to a manageable size And if the food is bad, the ride's too long The radio just won't play your song You just count up all the things you see wrong One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine Trouble is This is the world and it's a real And everything's a package deal Maybe there's something you just don't want to feel Oh, now, now If I made it clear You look so much better down there If while you're moving around You could pick me some daisies from out of the ground Hey, this is the part where we do the trombone solo but at times like this, I just have to do a little bit myself. If I made it clear, you'd look so much better down there if while you're 
moping around You could pick me some daisies from out of the ground Out of the ground, out of the ground Out of the ground And if you think that I'm a bag of hot air And life really ought to be fair Cause you got to be a getting somewhere Go on back to your house on Complain Lane Where everything is always the same And I don't have to feel your pain I said go on back now I said go on back now now I said go on back I can hear you. Your mama's calling you back now. Yes, she is, child. Oh, I hear your mama calling you now. <laughs> I get an obscene amount of joy out of that song. That's that is fantastic. Is that one of your Thanks. favorites? I really like that song. Yeah, yeah. I clearly, yeah. clearly. Because there's a there's a part of me that really loves to make that kind of music, yeah. you know, and we just love to to do swing. And yeah. uh, and so I'm I'm glad. Like this, this is an oddball song to include on Truce in a way. But I'm glad we did it. And oh, just, you can just tell by the production. Everyone's having so much fun with that one. Yeah, yeah. We really did. We really had a good time. Uh, what, uh, what did uh, singing college acapella do for your uh, <laughs> for your yeah. performance? There we go. Why? How did you know? Pete? Well, you know, I, I mean, you know, it's it's pretty it's pretty rare where you do the uh, the vocal horn solo, and, and yeah, so, uh, that's that's pretty rare skill. Yeah, man, I was always copying the guys that could really do it. Um, <clears throat> well, I. I was in the bare necessities at Brown University, which was kind of starting out. Not, not starting out, but still new when I was there. And, um, uh, you know, I, I actually wasn't interested in joining an acapella group at first. And, and I, I became friends with a lot of the guys. And I wasn't I really... realized they're, they're really very cool. They, they are super guys. Yeah, they're a lot of my It's important that we get that out. Yeah, acapella oh, yeah. people in acapella general. Acapella people in general are very cool. <laughs> they're very cool. <laughs> Some of the coolest people I know are acapella this people. This is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. You guys are on the list now. Um, <laughs> um, and I just had a lot of fun with those guys. I, I, I learned a lot about um, arranging just more, uh, how do I put it? I learned about arranging vocals in a kind of a visceral way, like doing it on the fly, because we do a lot of improvisation. Um, and uh, it just, you know, it gave me a way to really keep my voice keep my voice really fresh in college because uh, I was only performing periodically and um, it's just a great time and honestly the most valuable thing I got out of it was all my good friends and um, mm. you know friendships that that keep going to today in fact at my wedding I pulled a bunch of those guys out of acapella retirement and I said here's a song can you arrange it and they had never they hadn't performed together in about five years and they just showed up and did it awesome. it was uh, really terrific that's, that's quite a gift meaningful yeah, yeah. Were you uh, were you writing were you songwriting uh, much at that at that time? I mean, have you been songwriting? Like, when did you start songwriting? Um, I I probably uh, I wrote my first song at fifteen. It was a very you know very simple teenage love song. Sure. And I think um, 
in uh, in college is when I really picked up the acoustic. The funny thing is that I played electric my whole teenage life. I mm. you know I played lead, and uh, was really into. First, I was really into metal bands uh-huh. at twelve and thirteen and fourteen, and then I was really into you know Eric Clapton and Led Zeppelin and all that stuff. Um, and then in college, I don't know why, but I I started picking this up. Uh, and and starting to write some songs acoustically and um and I transferred to Brown my junior year and and just like I got a gig at the pub in the first month there the campus pub and I was like oh man I don't have songs I got to write some songs yeah and that kind of got me started I just kept at it um so yeah at that time I was I was trying to write pretty regularly wow so as a songwriter, I'm just curious, like more philosophically speaking, I mean, do you find yourself working on different things? You know, I mean, This is a horribly abstract question. I try to ask it every time and it never really comes out very gracefully. But I'm just always curious about like the songwriter's process, you know, what sort of things you feel stuck on? Like what were your moments of breakthrough in the past? What kind of things you feel like you might be working on for your next step you know, just yeah. as a songwriter? Well, I have felt like... Um, in my mind, I'm 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 writing a lot of the similar a lot of similar songs, and so it's been a challenge to myself to to experiment with different styles. Even though I'm mainly a writer on the on the guitar, um, is to like that song "Complain Lane" was a total you know total risk for me mm-hmm. to try that. Um, so I'm really challenging myself to do that. I'm finding I'm I'm writing a lot more you know sort of country flavor songs recently, which baffles me because I'm not really a country fan. I didn't grow up with country music, but they're, they're leaning that way. You know, that sort of swingy, um, that's coming out. I don't know why. And Mm. I'm just going with it. Whereas before I would have said, you know, that's not really my thing. Right. Um, but maybe it'll open some, you know, some really special doors. So I'm just trying to follow it. Um, beyond that, I, I guess, I'm always really focused on. I, I'm never really satisfied with my lyrics. Like if I have a if I have a line that comes really easy and doesn't ring quite right to me, I'll just you know I'll just work that over and over. I'm very um, exacting about lyrics, right. and I'm always trying to capture the 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 idea that I'm trying to get across or the feeling I'm trying to get across in a better way. Yeah. So that I'm always chewing on that. I, mm-hmm. I mean, I'll be walking around the city chewing on some lyric all the time. Yeah. Um, it's, it's sort of the, the question, maybe there's a question for both of you guys because it sounds like you both struggle with this a little bit, but do you find yourself ever really finishing songs? Are you a guy who has finished songs or are they never really finished? It's back to that question of, of a recording, right? I mean, once it once it's recorded, it's a form that becomes familiar to your listener. So you have some obligation to play it that way, I think, right? Very good point. If I didn't do that, yeah, they would evolve you know, over and over again. There's songs I've played for 10 years and never recorded, and they're very different now. And I think that's totally reasonable. You know, this is a... Uh, we, we grow, the song should grow too. Um, there's that old... Um, that old uh, nugget, I can't remember who said it about, I think it's either about a painting or a poem. It's never finished. It's always abandoned. Right. Uh, and I feel the same way about the song. You know, at some point you just have to say, this is the this is the structure of it today. I'm going to put it on tape. You know, the songs I'm playing for you tonight, it might sound a little different next time, you know, or next year. I think that's okay. Uh, yeah. I, I want to go back to a point because I don't want to let it go. I'm I'm amazed that you are a professional musician uh, and a dad. 
of uh, of a young child and that amazes me because i barely have time to get out of bed uh, in the morning um, <laughs> how do you find that affects your your music and your career and uh, you know you said you put the put the idea of a tour on hold for a year when you had your daughter but mm-hmm. you know what is what does it mean to to find that balance um it's a it's a learning process it really is um I've always wanted a family, and my wife and I decided that, you know, we didn't want to wait anymore. It was time. And, uh, you know, I knew that it was going to have some impact on on my music life. It, it had to. It had to have an impact on every area of my life. Um, and it's it's been a real juggling act, to be honest. I, and I, I kind of I had to laugh at myself because I I was committed to... When, when she was born, I decided, well, I'm sure I can continue doing exactly what I'm doing, just have to learn a different way to do it. So I kept booking the same old way. And by the time she was three or four months old, I was ready to drop dead. You know, I was exhausted, <laughs> absolutely exhausted. Yeah. And I, I learned that, um, you know, I would, I would need to find a different kind of balance. So um, it's, I won't kid you, it's challenging, but I'm very fortunate to have um, a part-time job that I really love. Um, a really understanding spouse, and uh, I have, you know, I, I have some time during the week that I block out. I, I spend with my daughter, some time that I block out, work on music. You know, we we work. My wife and I work together to make sure show nights and rehearsal nights can happen. Um, and uh, you know, it it's just is what it is. But I, I think increasingly that, uh, you know, because I really wanted a family, it's okay with me whatever happens. You know, whatever I'm able to do musically, um, I really love my family and spending time with them. And, and, and if it, it has some, if I would have been able to do the tour last year, it's okay. You know, I'll do it this year. Yeah. That's, that's how I feel now. How do you feel it's changed your songwriting? I mean, I'm just imagining like as much as there's more to balance, it's probably, it's got to feed it too. Yeah, it, it has. I mean, I think early on last year when my daughter was very young, um, I, I was just too tired to write, but yeah. You know, past several months, there's just been a lot of stuff coming out. Um, you know, I think people told me having a kid would, would, would really stir things up for you in a way that you'd never experienced. You know, mm-hmm. not only becoming a father and those responsibilities, but your own your own emotions and, yeah. you know, thoughts and such. Sure. Um, and that's definitely true. Um, a lot of, lot of different types of songs have been coming out. Um, interestingly enough, I, I haven't written... I, and this has bothered me. I haven't written songs for her yet. And I, I think maybe there's a, this is maybe a little too confessional for you, but I think there's maybe there's a little bit of, um, I have a real fear about it. I, I'm a kind of a perfectionist. And, I understand. You know, oh, putting absolutely. all that down in a, in a song, I think has is, is, is been very hard for me to do. Um, although I've toyed with it. I've got one or two rolling in there in the back of my head. I just haven't, I haven't gotten into the performance yeah. state. Um, so I, I've decided not to beat myself up about that, and and when it comes, it'll come. And um, I've never been much of a love songwriter. It's been more of like a broken love songwriter. <laughs> so, um, wow, yeah, that's uh, that's my thoughts. It's like you know, it's a it's a learning process, like like many other things, and just kind of take each day as it comes and try to juggle it best I can. Let's uh, let's do uh, another tune. Yeah. So I'm I'm gonna. Like speaking of you know taking risks like we were earlier, um, I've been thinking a lot about how you know if you're not careful, your your performance, your set becomes 
rote. Mm-hmm. You're doing the same stuff over and over again, and there's not always room for spontaneity, um, or it's hard to make that room. And I've always toyed with this idea of writing songs on the fly, you know, um, you know, taking a, uh, a phrase from an audience member and just going with it. Now, I don't have those chops yet, really. I'm not a rap rap aficionado, really. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've never practiced that. But, um, you know, I just thought, I'm sitting around at work today, had a few, few a free moment. I thought, well, this doesn't have to be such a precious process. Let's just write some words down. So I'm going to give you a shot on this song that has never been really even performed in full. Awesome. And, uh We'll see. It could be a complete train wreck. Beautiful. um, You know, it's in the. Working title? Uh, I won't save your life. Tell me you don't, tell me you won't, tell me you'll live or you'll die. Read me my rights, put me in your sights and fire. Open your veins, let go of the reins, race to the edge and do it all with a smile in desperate style, but I won't save your life. I've fallen and sword, been enlightened and bored. I've carried you. Bought and I've sold, run hot and run cold. Looked at you inside. But we all reach a place, we enter a space where we've lost our need for strife. I'm in that cloud and starting right now, baby. I won't see. To you now, you'll be alright. Oh, good luck to you now. Good luck to you now. Come day, or come me a curse pour yourself a glass lament your fall stare at the wall live in the past 
open your veins and savor the stains and then say look what you made me do I'm not taking that bait I've scared myself straight it's time to walk away from you do it with a smile in desperate style baby I won't see I Won't Save Your Life, Justin Jude, written today. Yeah. The gauntlet has been thrown. Uh, <laughs> from now on, everybody who comes on Acoustic Conversation is going to be given the write the song the day of assignment. <laughs> uh, you, you've set a very high bar. That was beautiful. Well, thanks. That was fun to do. Um, I'd like to do more of that, so thanks for giving me the opportunity to do that. Sure. Absolutely. Where uh, where do people find you, Justin Jude? Uh, www.justinjude.com. From there, you could reach my blog where we uh, we we post about shows, tours, and there's uh, a few free downloads of tracks up there, including a couple I played tonight. That is at justinjude.wordpress.com. Also on MySpace, myspace.com slash justinjude. And uh, I think that covers it. Fair enough. Covers <laughs> it for us. Uh, you can find us, uh, the show, at AcousticConversations.com. Right, Kurt? And that's absolutely right. Or you can visit us um, at Twitter. Follow us on Twitter at uh, AC Convo. Absolutely. AC nice. Convo, Acoustic Conversations. And see, I, I don't have the script tonight. I know I had a third <laughs> line. I can visualize the third line. Uh, uh, but uh, definitely, uh, oh, Facebook. I think that was it. Join our Facebook group. Facebook members, uh, who, folks who come join the group, they get direct links to all of the high-quality uh, songs that uh, Justin has, has uh, uh, delivered for us tonight. Uh, absolutely beautiful. Direct links if you join our Facebook group uh, to all of those songs so you can keep them, cherish them. And call them George. <laughs> uh, on behalf of Kurt Sivert, I am Pete Wright. Great, uh, great thanks to Justin for sitting down with us. Uh, really, truly a wonderful, uh, a wonderful set tonight. Uh, join us again uh, next week with Acoustic Conversations. Go on back to your house on Complain Lane When everything is always the same And I don't have to feel your pain I said, go on back now, now. I said, go on back, back now. Oh, baby, I can hear you. Your mama's calling you back now. Yes, she is, child. Oh, I hear your mama calling.